In week one, we talked about the Trinity. God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. In week two, we talked about the doctrine of the incarnation, the idea that when Jesus came to earth, he was two natures in one person, 100% God and 100% man. In week three, we talked about ethics and morality and how ultimately right and wrong are established in accordance with the nature of God. Today, we turn to something specifically under the heavens. We turn to us, human beings, and specifically questions that we all kind of long for answers for. I mean, like, what are we? Who are we? What are we supposed to do? What's our purpose? Where are we ultimately going? And all of these questions are intrinsically bound up in the doctrine called Imago Dei. And Imago Dei is a Latin term that just means image of God. And you might have heard that term before, but in order to really understand what Imago Dei means, we have to turn to the creation story in which it finds its context. So the Bible begins in the beginning, and it starts with God creating heaven and earth. God creates two domains, heaven and earth. And these two domains work as a sort of functionally different equal opposite pair. And that's a kind of a big way of saying is that heaven and earth are different, but they're equals and they're meant to come together. They're, they're like a couple. They're supposed to be married um, and, and joined together. They're not supposed to be separated. They're not supposed to experience a divorce. So heaven and earth, two functionally different equal opposites. Now, a couple important things. First, it's important to note that it's just heaven and earth. The Bible does not say, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the hell. Hell is nowhere to be found in our story at this point. All you have is God creating goodness after goodness. Hell is a consequence to human rebellion, which comes much later in the story. But what's established in the beginning by God is nothing but goodness. Two functionally different equal opposites. And this sets up a pattern that will take place in the rest of the creation week. Remember, in the garden, it says that God walked with Adam. God's dwelling place was with humanity. Now, second, a pattern is established and is continued through the rest of creation. On day one, you have the creation of light and darkness, functionally different equal opposites. But together they form a day. God separates light from darkness, day one. On day two, the waters are separated from the waters below. On day three, you have land and sea separated. On day four, you have the creation of plants and trees. Day five, you have the creation of the greater light and lesser light, the sun and moon. And on the sixth day, you have the creation of humans, the image bearers. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, first, an important note. The Bible specifically says that God creates both men and women in his image. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to you as a modern Westerner, but it's because you've inherited a few thousand years of the biblical tradition stating this. In the ancient world, this was not commonly accepted. There was a massive difference between a man and a woman. 
And what the biblical author is saying is that both men and women, male and female, they bear the image of God. This is a powerful, powerful statement expressed in a time when others weren't saying those types of things. Now, the question still remains, what exactly does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, there's a couple different angles and ways we can look at this, and they give us kind of clues to solving the puzzle. But the first way is one that is often overlooked. Time and time again, people skip over this method. We jump to philosophy or other places in Scripture looking for the answer. But the first thing we should stop and do is ask, if at the end of Genesis chapter 1, God creates image bearers who bear the image of God, what do we know about this God at this point in the story? So the first thing you could do is actually just look at chapter one and see what God has been up to. What is he like? What is he doing? And the biblical authors give you clues because there's patterns and repeated words that highlight what this God has been up to and what he is like. God has been creating. He has been dividing and separating. He has been gathering. He's been naming things. He has been looking at what he makes and declaring it good. In other words, he is both artist and engineer. He has been working with the purpose of creating things that are good and true and beautiful. Now, right off the bat, there's a number of things that we can infer. If human beings are made in the image of this God, then human beings are meant to work and to create. We are designed to introduce new beauty into the world. We create, we divide, we organize. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but there are massive implications. In one sense, we're talking about art, as human beings, we, like God, are introducing new beauty into the created order. God creates out of nothing, but we take the substance that he gave us and we shape and we mold and we design and we introduce new goodness and new beauty into the creation. Additionally, there's this idea of dividing and rightly ordering things. It's this sort of like engineer architect-like capability. And so what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, at least in one way, it means all the stuff that's discussed in Genesis chapter 1. Creating, naming, making goodness, and putting it forth in the created order. Now, there's another thing it means, and it has to do with the word dominion. God gives his image bearers the command to have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the livestock, and it even says all the creeping things on the earth. And you know it's a big deal because the biblical author then repeats the same command again. It's said twice. It says in Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So human beings are supposed to exercise dominion over creation. We're supposed to rule over it. Now, immediately, there's this sort of bad emotional response because there's this negative connotation with those words, dominion and rule. And rightfully so, because when we think about how people have ruled on earth, there's been a lot of bad rulers. History is filled with bad kings and dictators and tyrants. But remember, the way humans are supposed to exercise dominion, the way we're supposed to rule, is supposed to reflect the way God ruled over his creation. And what did we see in Genesis 1? God ruling with wisdom and introducing goodness and blessing his creation. In other words, human beings 
ought to do God's will on earth as he does in heaven and as he demonstrated throughout the creation week. We are to be wise and good rulers over creation. Now a question comes up. Does God need human beings to help rule, to help have dominion? I mean, does why does God need delegated authorities? And the answer is he, he doesn't need it. He didn't need Adam to name all the animals in the garden. He didn't need Adam and Eve to tend to the garden. But that's the way God has established the function of his image bearers. They are delegated authorities who are supposed to exercise dominion in a way that reflects his goodness. Now, this is illustrated with a house. So... Let's say there's a couple that buys a house and eventually this couple have some kids. So they're living the good life. They're married. They bought their own house. They got kids. And at some point, the parents start to adopt language that is sort of like this delegated authority with their own kids. So eventually those little babies turn into to kids. And at a certain point, maybe it's around the age of three or four or five, six, seven, eight, who knows, but they start to say things like this. Child, go clean your room. And they speak as if the room belongs to the child. Now, the room is a part of the house. I mean, make no mistake about it. Mom and dad, they own not only the room, but the whole house, but they adopt language of delegated authority. They tell the child, make sure your room is clean. Now, at a certain point, a child becomes a teenager, right? And the teenager might then say something like this to mom or to dad. Mom, get out of my room. So the child begins to think that it's not delegated authority. That room actually belongs to them. But no, that belong the house belongs to mom and dad. In which case, when the child says, get out of my room, mom or dad then exercise their sovereign authority and intervene and say, excuse me? And see, that's sort of what is the story of history. Human beings are the delegated authorities meant to rule and reign in a way that reflects the glory and goodness of God, but they mess up and God exercises his sovereign authority, intervenes and get things back into shape. But when human beings are doing their job, when they're ordering things correctly, when they're dividing, when they're putting forth goodness into the created order, the room stays clean. Additionally, when humans are bearing the image of God rightly, humans function as a sort of angled mirror. The world looks at a human and the human reflects the image of God to the observer. And that is the hope that humans would reflect the wise and good rule of the creator back into the created order. When God created the world, he created it with all the raw material for humans to continue to create and build and put goodness into the world. When humans rule in a way that reflects the rule and reign of God, then earth is a place of beauty and justice and peace. It is a place where human beings can flourish and enjoy the good world God gave them. Here's the massive problem though. Humans have not been good rulers. God's will and his plan was always to have image bearers who put forth goodness and beauty and peace into the world. But humans have historically failed at that. So what is, what is God supposed to do? Is he going to like come down and destroy his image bearers for ruining his, his creation? In anger, will he smite them? Now, this is where weeks one, two, three, and four sort of all come together. See, God doesn't do that. Instead, God, who is triune, 
which we've talked about how that means that God is a God of love and he's forever been a God of love. He sends his son in the person of Jesus who comes in the flesh, the incarnation, and he embodies the will of God perfectly. And he does it as a fellow image bearer so that God's plan to have image bearers reflect his glory and goodness into creation the thing humans were always supposed to and destined to do finally is accomplished by Jesus, who is 100% God, but also important, 100% human. So as Christians, we are to follow in his footsteps to be like Jesus. We run into another problem here, however. See, the modern world has split the world into two domains the secular and the sacred. And essentially what we've done is we've, we've taken things like our faith and, and religious life and kind of put that into the sacred sphere so that when we think about doing sacred things, we primarily think about expressing our faith at church or in a church building. Or sometimes we think ministry is only done by pastors or people who are in the clergy. Or sometimes we even think what it means to participate in faith or religious activity means behaving the way our church tells us to. And then the secular world deals with everything else. And so just a very small portion of our faith as Christians is kind of, it's relegated to this small space. Now remember, what was the original job description of the image bearer? We are to reflect God's goodness back into the created order. We are to separate and divide and manage and order and name and create we are to put forth beauty and goodness back into the created order. So it covers everything in our sphere of life. And so these questions begin to arise, important questions, and they apply differently to every single person. What does bearing the image of God look like in my particular life? What does bearing the image of God look like if you are an artist? What does bearing the image of God look like if you are an engineer? What does it look like if I am a chef? What if I enjoy gardening? What if I am a police officer? What if I am a school teacher? What if I'm a musician and write songs? What does bearing the image of God look like if I am a business owner? Whatever it may be, the Christian can ask themselves, what would it look like for me to reflect the glory and goodness of God back into creation? Christians ought to be image-bearing pioneers in things like art and science and technology, whatever domain you might currently occupy. If you're a business owner, what does bearing the image of God look like? How can you have the best and fair practices? If you're into gardening, how can you garden for the glory of God? If you flip burgers, how can you make the best possible hamburger for the glory of God? So whether you're a CEO, a stay-at-home mom, a baker, whatever it may be, you are to ask yourself again, what does it look like for me in my current space to reflect the glory and goodness of God? It covers everything. This is why all of life is sacred. Every last bit of it, all of life is important and sacred. When you deface an image bearer, you are defacing the image of whom they bear. Whether someone is old or young, rich or poor, born or unborn, no matter what it may be, when you wrong another human being, you wrong the one 
who made them, the one whose image they bear. All of life is sacred. Everything we do is the sacred task of bearing the image of God. This is what makes the story all the more scandalous, the story that we encounter in the Gospels. Now, in Colossians 1.15, it says, Jesus is the image of God. Additionally, Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus is the imprint, the perfect image of God. He upholds the universe with His power. But what does the one who upholds the universe, all things with his power, do? What does he do specifically to the image bearers who fail to bear the image rightly? Well, he comes to earth as the perfect image. And when he comes to earth, what do the fallen image bearers do? They observe and see what someone bearing the image of God perfectly looks like. And in turn, They hate it. They hate what they see. They despise it. They see everything they ought to be. And in turn, the image bearers crucify the perfect image of God. And so if you want to know what looking like the image of God, what does that actually look like? You look to Jesus. And if you want to know what that looks like perfectly, you look at Jesus suffering on a cross to save the image bearers who defied him, who rebelled against him. But the good news of the story of the Gospels and Christianity is that Jesus, in turn, still being a being of love, offers grace and forgiveness to the very ones who crucified him. And he invites us back into relationship and invites us back into bearing the image properly. And that looks different for every single person. So you have to ask yourself, what does it look like for me to bear that image in the domains and spaces that I currently occupy? You might be a mother or a father. You might be a grandparent. You might be married, you might be single, you might be a CEO, you might be flipping burgers for minimum wage. It doesn't matter. How can you do those things that you are currently doing for the glory of God? Wherever you find yourself today, the question remains, how can I reflect back the glory and goodness of God into his sacred creation?